Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. E-commerce chargebacks and fraud consultant Carice Hendrick visits fraud busting. She'll tell us all about how she's used card info to discover who's cheating, how she helped bust a Biggie Smalls impersonator operating a stolen credit card ring, and also why she stopped a suspicious purchase from a very famous rock star. You gotta listen to find out who it is. She'll tell all about how she helps big companies detect and stop fraud losses and give us tons of tips to protect yourself online. This one is fun. Enjoy. Carice, thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting. It's an honor to have you on. I have listened to so many of your podcasts. Like, I feel like I know you, but we just met like about five minutes ago. <laughs> face to face, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on yours. Oh, you bet. You bet. Now, um, so before we get started, tell us, how's your pandemic been? Has it been going good for you? <laughs> Does anyone say yes? No, they all say no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Ugh. I've been trying really hard to find the silver linings and things. Like, uh-huh. okay, I, you know, I, used to, I usually would be traveling a ton, especially this time of year. And okay, I get to spend more time with my family. Like I haven't ever not traveled um, internationally or just even nationally uh, for this long. Um, so I'm finding that as a silver lining. Uh, we... Uh, it was off to a really rough start, but um, I'll say the last few, last two, three months have been pretty great. I'm starting to get my stride, so. Okay. Oh, I love to hear that. Yeah, because um, I've been missing being on the road as yeah. well. I do a lot of keynotes. And so, yeah, me too. So, so here's the thing, and you know this, when the economy goes down, fraud goes up. Now, tell oh, us yeah. about you, because you have a, a niche specialization. That's why we have you on. So <laughs> now is your chance to brag and make yourself, yourself sound like amazing. Uh, which won't be hard to do, but let's, let's hear it. Tell everybody, what do you do? <laughs> what do I do? Uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, so my primary focus is e-commerce fraud prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into it on accident, like most people that are in e-commerce fraud, uh, but I stayed on purpose, as I say. Um, and uh, I really got into it at the right time, right? When you know, e-commerce, the second, the second boom, not the mm-hmm. first one, but the second one. Uh, and really the span of my career has been, um, I've been growing up about the same rate as online fraud has been growing up. So, oh. uh, you know, I, I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago and I already have a lifetime achievement award, which is crazy. Wow. Uh, I, I won the, uh, Legend of E-commerce Fraud Award last year at FraudCon, which is in Tel Aviv. So that was an awesome trip. Dang, that sounds yeah, awesome. um, yeah, and I uh, that was a total accident. I didn't even know. I mean, I just got an email saying I was nominated and I won. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't oh. even know I had to apply. Um, so that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Better go to that event. <laughs> and I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> But it's like, oh, is this a scam? You know, you, you never know with emails these days. It's true. Uh, but fortunately, I, I knew of the person, so I knew it was legitimate. Um, but yeah, so I, the first half of my career was really spent in operations, in e-commerce fraud, working uh, 
kind of on the ground, so to speak, for online merchants. Um, most notably, I started the fraud department for Bag Borrower Steel, which was the first uh, online rental company for something other than DVDs. Oh, so lots of risk there. Uh, uh-huh. It was, you know, some of the items were as much as $40,000, but someone could rent them using quotation, quotation marks for as little as $1,000 a week or, you know, went down from there. But it was a risky business model where they didn't think about fraud. And so that was really trial by fire. And that's the way I learned. Uh, Then I moved on and uh, built what's called the friendly fraud process for Expedia um, and worked with them. And um, yeah, so just everything at my career really was right time, right place, more or less. And then the last seven or eight years, I've really uh, fallen in love with supporting online merchants. So I, through working for the largest trade association in fraud, which was, uh, is the Merchant Risk Council. And I did that um, in 2012 to 14 or 15. Uh, I really became the go-to person in my role for the largest companies in the world saying, hey, we don't know who else to ask. Can you help with this? And I just fell in love with that. Oh. And uh, so that's what led to becoming a consultant. And I've since uh you know, help develop uh, conference content and educational content for CNP, cardnotpresent.com. Um, and now I'm full-fledged. Uh, I was doing that simultaneously as building my consultancy. And now I'm full-time working for myself. And uh, I currently host the Fraudology podcast, which is pretty new. And uh, prior to that, I was the co-host of the online broadcast with former cyber criminal Brett Johnson, who I know you've had on your show. Absolutely. Okay. So Okay, unpack so all that. You're a badass. <laughs> we got that part. Okay. So, so let's say I have a company. Why would I call you? Let's say I own Target, which I don't, but um, <laughs> let's say I do. Like what, if I called you, what would you do? Hmm. Very good question. So it really varies the gamut, but at the basic crux of it, online fraud is so important because when a credit card is stolen and used online, that merchant has to pay that cardholder back through the chargeback process. Mm-hmm. So uh, whereas when a card is stolen and used at an in-person location, it's gotten a little more complicated with the chip cards and everything, but let's just blanketly say that most of the time the merchant doesn't have to pay for that. So they don't even know when credit card fraud happens in their stores. Huh. Um, but online, you uh, receive a chargeback and it's generally 60 to 90 days after the transaction. So your product's gone. Now you have to give the money back. And uh, LexisNexis has a survey uh, that says that the true cost of fraud is actually over $3. So for every $1 of fraud on a stolen credit card on your website, it's actually costing your company over $3. Oh boy. So when you put that into millions, you know, if if your website is attractive to consumers, if you're making money but selling items or services online, a criminal can make money selling your services and goods online too. And they will. So um, really it's, uh, that's why e-commerce fraud is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so back to kind of your you know question of what I do, a lot of times uh, I really work with merchants to reduce their chargebacks. Um, chargebacks don't just happen when a credit card is stolen. There's also several, a, a pretty decent sized percentage of consumers who have learned if they call their bank and say they didn't make a purchase, they all of a sudden get their free TV or, you know, their their vacation for free. So they've learned how to exploit that system. So I've really figured out how to 
look at the behavior and look at the root cause and help merchants prevent that from ever happening. And then also when it does happen, helping them regain um, as much revenue as possible and, and recover that. Um, but these days, these days I still do those cases, but I also do a lot of um, kind of thought leadership and uh, education piece as well. Uh, so speaking at conferences, uh, doing trainings for teams um, in fraud, or if a company says, okay, we know we need a fraud technology, but there's over 200 now and they all sound like they do the same thing. I can kind of cut through the noise and go, okay, what are your problems? This is, these are the two, three companies I would talk to. So, okay. Got it. Okay. So it's a lot your, of things. It is a lot of things. And it, and it really runs very deep when you think about that $3 of fraud now, now, uh, per, per dollar now, but yeah. a lot of these companies, like, um, some of the big box retailers, they have a pretty high threshold for, um, like paying attention to a certain case, don't they? Like it's, it's a, quite a bit of money before it really before they're like okay now now we can actually like maybe we shouldn't just give this money back like maybe we need to dig a little deeper here like i mean can, can you can you tell us what some of those numbers are or is that um <laughs> not okay? well they're all no i mean they're so there's two different parts there's the um at time of transaction so there's fraud prevention at the time of transaction based off of a lot of great technology that we have as well as um you know people that grew up like me without the technology having to figure out you know just using a few different data points knowing being able to guess someone's intentions and and learning how to really trust your gut and knowing okay if the billing address and shipping address are different that could be totally fine you could be sending an item to your niece or mm -hmm. you know something or you could have stolen a credit card and be shipping it to yourself. So at the time of transaction, there's a lot that goes into fraud prevention at trying to just ensure that you're canceling the right transactions without on the flip side, impacting a good, a good customer who looks a little bit risky um, and just canceling that order. So it's a real art and science of being able to know. And right now it's really done by data at a high level. Back when I was doing it on the ground, a lot of it was more like hand-to-hand -hand combat, but yeah. now it's, it's a little more um, at a high scale of looking at the data and saying, okay, what percentage of these types of transactions turned into chargebacks? Okay, let's put some rules around that, or let's mm -hmm. use machine learning to be able to look at all these little tiny behaviors that a human couldn't look at, wouldn't know, but that's going to help I mean, these days you can know everything from the browser of what someone's, you know, using their type of phone, the language on their browser, how they're holding their phone, how they type in their password. There's so many different um, behavior biometrics that can help on that front end. Um, so it's really important. There are a lot of tools for that, but not all tools are the best tools. So trying to sort out through that noise is important. But um, so that's the first side is kind of the the prevention side. And it's almost like whack-a-mole where you set one down and then another one comes up. So that's like almost its whole department on itself. And then on the back end, I think what you're talking about is the investigations piece. And that's when they're able to start tying those together and saying, wow, all of these transactions were done by the same person or the same group. Um, how can we work with law enforcement to be able to get prosecution on those? And it's less about, um, I think, 
the big box retailers that have those thresholds, it's because when they've worked with law enforcement, law enforcement has had those thresholds. So, oh, because it's like ten, fifteen thousand dollars sometimes or more. Oh, it's a lot of times it's in the seven figures at this point. Really. And it's infuriating sometimes. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the wild, wild west where most people who are committing credit card fraud online are never going to be caught. Because right. if you think about it, I mean, especially in the U.S., our law enforcement, the two, um, a lot of times they think they talk about jurisdiction where um, local law enforcement says, well, yeah, the person whose credit card was stolen was here in you know, Seattle, Mm -hmm. but the credit card was actually used in Colorado and the merchant, the, the company that it was used with, they're based in California. So whose jurisdiction is it? And it kind of becomes this not it game. Oh, Um, so that's part of it. It's kind of, that's, that's really challenging. And then the other is with uh, federal law enforcement, it's the FBI or the secret service. And they have a lot of safety issues that they have to prioritize before the financial piece they're, you know, the uh-huh. FBI doesn't have time to look at it. So it's, it's very frustrating sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, and even then, even if you have a case in the seven figures and you're able to really, I mean, the merchant really has to be able to dedicate a person or a team to be able to put all that together and put it on a silver platter and a nice bow, so uh-huh. to speak for law yeah. enforcement. Uh, but even then you kind of have to find the right law enforcement agent to care and want to dig in and want to explain to the U S district attorney, what IP spoofing is, or, you know, all these high tech things that are hard to understand. So we certainly have a long way to go on prosecution. I, I I never want to seem like I'm, you know, being Debbie Downer, but I think it's, uh, it's important to be uh, realistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why it's so much, so many more companies are putting so much more effort in the prevention side at the time of transaction. Uh-huh. There's honestly very few e-commerce companies that even have an investigations unit because they don't see the dollar. They, they're not going to see their money come back. Well, that's just the thing with all kinds of investigations. Is yeah. it, like, do you really care about exactly how much you lost down to the penny? Cause you're paying the investigator and you know what? You're out the money. You ain't getting it back. It's no. not there. So, okay. So it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of what you do is help people get the right programs going with the right algorithms to fit their needs because it's just not a manual process anymore. No, it, no. And it's a real strategic thing too, because mm-hmm. you want to be able to really balance the customer's experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they going to have to enter in all their information all the time? Are they going to have to send you a picture of their driver's license? No, not when it's for, you know, a thousand dollar item. So like, how do you, how do you be able to narrow it down to, you know, be able to let all the people who are, you know, for sure in the green go, you know, Uh category that they can get, they can have their transaction approved quickly and shipped out the door very quickly. Uh And then the people who are a little more risky um, are, you know, reviewed. Um, That's a lot of it's into strategy and then really aligning it with the company. Um, There are, you know, I've worked with two different competitors that'll have completely different problems or completely different issues Um, or others. I mean, if you think about it within the online community, 
an online retailer with you know physical goods is going to have completely different fraud than an online gaming company or an online dating company. I mean, online dating obviously is oh man rife with crazy. romance scams, and yeah. and those guys aren't going to use their own credit cards; so they're going to steal one. Uh, online gaming is going to have a lot of online currency and sometimes money laundering risks, as well as kids who are using their parents' credit card. How do you uh -huh. know? I mean, it's just, it, it, we can go down to so many rabbit holes, but it's just so, it's so unique because every vertical is so different. I'll mm -hmm. talk to somebody who works for you know, a really large travel company like I did, and then they go to retail and they're like, oh, I thought I knew how to fight fraud, but I don't anymore. It's like, oh no, you do. Gosh. The basics are the same, but there's a lot that's different. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so let's go back to the start. Now with Expedia, tell us about travel fraud. Like what, um, you're covering your mouth. Like, <laughs> oh, I was coughing. Sorry. Okay. All right. I was like, oh, she's got a story. No, well, oh, okay. there are stories, but I was, I put it on mute and was coughing. <laughs> How funny. You were hilarious. Okay. So, so what goes on at Expedia with travel fraud and how can regular people like us, like we need to watch out for some stuff too. Like companies need to watch oh, yeah. out and then the consumer does. So tell, let's go both sides. Yeah. What, what's the story? Well, I mean, obviously I worked there 10 years ago. So, I mean, obviously yeah, like what I, what we saw there is going to be a little different, but I do still work with a lot of the biggest travel companies online okay. internationally. So I do know what goes on there. Um, a lot of people think that travel fraud would be difficult to commit because when you fly, you have to have your ID, but there's just so many siloed entities that if you make a purchase of a airline ticket on a third party travel site, then they have to get it through the airline and there's da, 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 da. anyway, it, it, there's so many broken down silos that it's not as simple for the online travel company to contact the airline and say, Hey, when that person checks in, can you make sure that they have the, the right ID? Because there's just so much fraud. You can't, uh -huh. you can't do that. Um, a lot of what we saw, a lot of what travel sees as well is just um, a lot of, interesting purchases so we would notice oh this is probably a man cheating on his wife oh, or oh, what, like what <laughs> <laughs> like what does it look like or worse like a lot of times we saw um uh trying to think of the right term for it uh sex workers that would steal a credit card from their customer customer a uh -huh. and then they would make a purchase with that with customer a's credit card uh-huh for customer B to reserve a room for customer B and would continue it. Um, so, you know, they would say they have a customer, they would also take his credit card in addition to whatever cash he paid them. Uh -huh. And then they would use it to book future um, hotel rooms. Um, but we'd also have wives that would call and get their credit card statement and say, we never, I never went to this hotel. And it's uh -huh. like, well, I can look up in the system and see that your husband checked in with his ID uh -huh. and with his credit card. I can't tell you who was with him, but I can tell you that he was there. And that was oh, definitely man. those kinds of things. Um, I think we probably, you know, I, we as a former team, as well as just all online travel, probably have broken up a few marriages. I mean, we're not the ones making the... It, or we'll have to call and verify like, huh, this looks fit. This looks suspicious. Uh -huh. And it would look suspicious because the husband made up a new email address because he didn't want his wife to, you know, find him or he would make up a fake name. Well, when your 
credit card information doesn't match or when the email address has never been used before, that looks suspicious. Uh -huh. So we'd have to call and say, or, you know, or, hey, we just wanted to know if you made this purchase. And sometimes it would be, uh, yeah, but uh, I, I'm with my wife. Can I call you back? Or something like that. Like, <laughs> or we, I do remember at least one time that someone called, a very angry man called because we had left a message on their voicemail. Oh. Uh, and to their wife's uh, knowledge, there was no trips booked to a hotel anywhere Ooh. soon. So certainly not meaning to pick on the men, but I would say more often than not, it, it was men that were cheating and weren't super smart about it. Um, as far as regular fraud, I will say um, that there is a serious component to travel fraud where um, terrorists, uh, including the ones for 9-11, as well as other organizations you know, overseas, et cetera, they don't want to use their own money. They don't want to use their own credit cards because it can get tied back to them, but also why would they? So uh -huh. they'll use stolen credit cards uh, to make purchases for, you know, plane tickets or train, uh -huh. hotel, et cetera. Uh, so that's definitely a darker side and a reason, one of the bigger reasons why the fraud department has to have aliases. So when we would call or talk to any customers, we had a second name, uh, that we used. It made being a newcomer to the team really hard because you would hear, you know, you'd meet somebody earlier and they said their name was Josh. And then he picks up the phone and says, this is Gene. And you're like, wait, who are you? <laughs> but it was for protection because just in case anyone, you know, came to the office and said, uh -huh. this person made me mad or this person canceled my trip uh -huh. and they were a terrorist or a violent person, they would it would be easier for the company to know, oh, that person isn't employed here. That must be an alias. Oh um, my goodness. So yeah. um, do you have an alias? Did you have one? I did. Well, can you share it or not? If you no, can. I can. I haven't used it since, but I really, I had no time. So I didn't get a really like come up with a good one. I just used my middle name and uh, a family member's maiden name. Okay, uh, so it was, right. it was Grace Jackson. It wasn't very exciting. That's not bad. That's a good name. I, that's actually a good <laughs> name. It's believable. It's, it's not like, you know, when you call customer service in a foreign country and they're like, oh, my name's Tina. It's like, no, your name is not Tina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we were, we were all in the U.S. There were definitely um, something that was really cool back then because this is fairly common now, but not as common as it, you know, not common back then was that we would have um, international people that were really uh, specialized in the culture and in the country. So mm -hmm. for instance, uh, there's one person that I still keep in touch with who is from Italy. And so she worked out of Seattle, but she um, spoke fluent Italian as well as she understood like the riskier areas of town that you know, if, if you saw an order in Manhattan, you might think a little differently than an order in Brooklyn. Maybe not mm -hmm. now, but, you know, just that kind of juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. And as far as customers go, I think there's always three things that all customers should do to try to protect themselves online. And I agree with you that if you let companies do all of it, like, they're never going to be able to get ahead of it. Uh, and that really is making sure that you're not using the same password for multiple accounts, which is really, really hard to do. It's hard to do. Yes. It's really hard to do, but so important. I can't tell you how many, oh, how many times, you know, when people say like, oh, my Instagram got hacked or my mm -hmm. 
Amazon got hacked. Well, first of all, I don't like that term because that's not really what it is, yeah. but it's account take isn't yeah. it's just me getting hung up on terms. Uh, it's account takeover. And that is um, when basically like, for instance, the, there was a breach with Hulu years and years and years ago. Uh-huh. And you can go to a website called Have I Been Pwned? I think it's P-W-N-E-D. Um, and put in your email address and see if there's any passwords that correlate to your email address from any breaches. And I know for me, mine comes up from the Hulu breach. So I had to make sure that I changed that because any account that had the same email address from that, even though the Hulu breach was like five or six, seven years ago, I mean, it was mm-hmm. a while ago, criminals still think, say, huh, I wonder if they, they use the same password for their Amazon or for their Facebook or their Instagram. It's and true. that's how they, and they do. And that's how, so you could be as safe as possible, but think of all the online accounts that you have a stored credit card on. They yeah, now it, don't okay, have so to get access to your credit card. They can just use your account. It's pwned.com. I think, yes, I think yeah. so. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Okay, good. Um, I'm glad you looked it up. <laughs> well, a friend of mine just told me about it. Oh, yeah. And, um, Beth Z, who is, she's, she's so cool. She um, she terms herself your nerdy best friend. And this is what <laughs> she does, is she spends hours doing this. And of course, she's a presenter. And um, she had a webinar. And I was like, oh, I think I need to write that down. Yeah. And, and I had someone contact me um last night yeah it was last night because they're like well i just got a note that my myspace account was was breached and isn't myspace like that's over and i'm like no it's not over when i myspace is still like your information <laughs> is there like for yeah. sure yeah yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. So that's, um, that's one of them for sure that I always tell people because honestly, online companies, it's very challenging for them to know, well, is it you logging into your account on a new phone that you have or when mm-hmm. you're traveling or is it someone else logging into your account? And so, um, being able to have, and it just makes it so easy for criminals. They don't even have to get a credit card if they don't want to. And there are several companies that on the dark web or just even on fraud communities where, you can buy an account to a food delivery app, for example, for like less than $3. Yeah. Yeah. It's like three, $4. That's what yeah. Brett was telling me. Yeah. Our friend, Brett Johnson. I was like, Brett, come <laughs> on. I'm worth more than that. And he's like, nope. <laughs> sorry. No. He's like, you are not. And, um, okay. So we got number one, different yes. passwords. Number two, what is it, Carice? Uh, number two is to freeze your credit. Um, yes, I've done that. Good, good. And, <laughs> And your kids' credit as well, if you mm-hmm. if you have kids, um, because honestly, kids are very attractive to cyber criminals who want to open new credit cards in their names because mm-hmm. the kid isn't going to look at their credit statement in a while. And I think what a lot of people don't realize in the U.S. is that um, there's no the credit agencies and the Social Security Administration don't talk to each other, so there's no credit created for you until. Uh, so they don't know what your social security number is until you put it in. Mm-hmm. So if a cyber criminal is creating a credit uh, profile for your child, for instance, they can say they are whoever they want to, and it's just attached to this the social security number. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know definitely another one, and that's more for you know having new accounts in your name. Mm-hmm. If you have an existing credit card and it gets stolen, that's not going to show up on your credit report, mm-hmm. but. Uh, there's definitely several different fraud, you know, that happened there. And then um, lastly, also, well, there's several, but um, the other is to ensure that you um, 
Why am I forgetting the last one? I say these all the time. I'm like, I don't know, Carice. Brain freeze. Am I making you nervous? <laughs> brain freeze. No, okay. no, it's just a brain freeze. I'm like, wait, I know this very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um. Oh, I know. See, this is why I'm like, uh, it's the simplest one, honestly, and that is just to keep an eye on your credit accounts, especially the ones that you don't use very often, mm-hmm. um, and to be very judicious about what links you click on when there's an online email, because that is another way that cyber criminals will get your information, is that they'll send you an email from a PayPal, from a Target, etc., and it'll look just like that, and it'll say, your information was breached, you need to re-enter your password, and two people click that, and you're entering your password onto a fraudulent website. Um, there's a lot of other nuanced ones, but those are really the three general ones that I you know, recommend. Uh, a lot of times I have friends, family, former classmates from you know high school who reach out to me, whatever they're victims of fraud, so. Oh, ouch, <laughs> ouch. Okay, okay. What's the biggest dollar amount fraud that case that you've worked on? <sighs> oh my gosh. I mean, there's been several that are multiple millions of dollars, but mm-hmm. that's more on like the, again, like uh, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, what they steal? How'd they do it? Uh, so one that comes to mind quickly is I was actually asked to uh, be a, um, uh expert witness. Sorry. I'm like, my brain is just going on crazy things, but for a federal case against, uh, this is the part that's so funny. He was a biggie smalls rap impersonator. (laughs) (laughs) And so there was this guy in Southern California that had uh, a group of people and uh, some people referred to it as gang. Others called it a posse. I I don't know, but he was an impersonator. He, he really loved to rap and he looked like Biggie Smalls and he sounded a little bit like him. So he had, I would say he had a small amount of fame on, on MySpace. Back uh-huh. then it was MySpace, you know, with the musicians page and everything. Yeah. Uh, and he would get hired to do small concerts or venues in California. So locally, and then a few in Vegas. Um, and actually every time he would travel from California to Vegas, the FBI, uh, when they did all their research and everything, were able to map out every single uh, gas station and store between Southern California and Vegas that he would use stolen credit cards at every trip. Oh, it was just, wow. and it was almost like a shotgun blast from like his, um, or cannon blast from his, where he lived. They were uh-huh. mapping out all the transactions and they were very concentrated close to his house and then like would get a little less all the way to Vegas and all the uh-huh. way up to San Francisco. Uh, so he, in that case, they were physical credit cards that were being stolen. Uh, yeah. That was before EMV. So it was much easier to do back yeah, then yeah. to clone the cards. And uh, it actually became this huge case where the federal prosecutor out of Seattle actually went up. It started with a pizzeria that got uh, breached and uh, a guy in Russia got the credit card numbers from this pizzeria place Um and several other POS systems that had the default password set up for their POS on the computer. Um, he pulled the credit card numbers and then he sold them to this Biggie Smalls impersonator. And that Biggie Smalls impersonator had this whole group that would put them on um, gift cards usually that they'd just steal stacks of gift cards from a, um, a grocery store. Sure. They didn't 
need to have them activated or anything. They just needed the mag stripe on the back. Uh -huh. So they would load the information, the track one, track two data on those cards. And then he would have his people, his posse or his gang, whatever, just use it as much as possible and buy as many things as they could so they could sell them for a discounted price, like on a Craigslist or- Yeah, anything. like half price TVs and things. Well, yeah, so it was quite the story. Is that- um, impersonation does not pay near as much <laughs> as, as the, uh, as the real thing. Right. right? So had to, he just had to have different, you know, diversification that yep. sounded like to me. Um, it wow. was about 4 million, I think was the amount that they were able to track to him, but that yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, another funny part was whenever he'd go to Vegas, usually he would go, gosh, I'm talking a lot about cheating spouses and I don't mean to, but <laughs> he, would, uh, he would take a little... different yeah little thing here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm like huh what is in my subconscious here that these are the stories that are coming up but uh when he would go to vegas right <laughs> i'm like geez oh boy <laughs> no i've i've been locked in the same house with my spouse for seven months so i don't think either one of us would if we could but we wouldn't <laughs> so i don't think it's that um but no so uh we um it was about yeah four million total but it was interesting when uh he would go to vegas he would go with a different female every time and he would spend a lot of money at name brand luxury uh stores you know like five thousand dollar purses yeah and uh, I'm so used to not saying names because I usually work with most of them. So that's oh, why I don't, but I'll no, it doesn't, it. no, no, you can it. say it. I'm just saying that's why I'm not saying them. That's oh, why okay, I'm like, okay. it's a guessing game, but no, you can say whatever you want. I just don't want to make anyone mad that I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> they know that their stuff is very popular stolen, but uh, so they would go, you know, to all these different stores and, and he would, you know, pick out a little something pretty for whatever girl was with him. Well, his girlfriend kept coming up to Seattle from Southern California for his court dates. And the prosecutor had planned to ask me a question that said, you know, hey, I see that he's you know, making all the, he's made all these purchases at Louis Vuitton, you know, all these uh -huh. different name brands. And uh, why do you think that is? And so I said, well, I mean, I believe that they were for high-end purses and uh, then they said, well, uh, Mrs. So then they put her on the stand and said, you know, Mrs. Whatever, do you have, it was girlfriend or wife. Do you have those purses? And it clicked in her head that he'd been cheating on her. So oh, she like never yeah. came back. <laughs> she never came back to his court cases again or his trial again. Oh my goodness. Here you are breaking up. I, I know. And it's not intentional. I mean, I, it's certainly not, I, I don't take fault for it because other people made their choices, but yeah. I was just answering questions. But that You're was almost a, like a homewrecker. <laughs> I know. I really just am most comfortable in payment fraud. But there's all <laughs> kinds of there's all kinds of things that are associated that yeah end up happening. <laughs> uh, oh man. Okay. So is that the craziest case, or you got another one in that so, years? Yeah, I mean, several, but these are like the older ones that are fun. Because I mean, the last eight years I've been supporting merchants and I definitely hear their stories, but it's more like hearsay in a way. Right. So my own stories, uh, when I um, managed the fraud department at Bag, Borrower, Steel, um, we had a new customer come in and want to rent um, a combined total of $38,000 worth of items, had never had any experience, never shopped with us before, uh -huh. never had any history 
they were all white items. I don't really know why, but it was sunglasses, purses, all different types of purses, name brands, et cetera. And uh, they had used five or six different credit cards and every single one had gotten a decline and they oh. were in their own name. Mm-hmm. But then they had one in someone else's name that was approved. Uh, so that looks super suspicious, right? You've got six credit cards and all of a sudden huh. you've got this and it was a guy's credit card. And uh, so I thought, oh, this is probably 90% fraud, but I'll just, you know, give them a call. So I called the phone number and it was an accountant's office. And I asked for the card holder and they said, oh, he's, he's not available for the next 60 days. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, and I said, oh, well, do you know this, you know, this woman name? And I said, does he know? Oh yeah, that's his girlfriend. I'm like, okay, well I need to be able to pull his credit because it's a high dollar amount. We need to know that he can pay us back if it doesn't show up all the things. Uh-huh. So I had the, they had the girlfriend call me. And, um, so I started kind of asking her basic questions. And a lot of times in those calls, you're not looking for what they say, but kind of how they say it. Uh Um, You know, and so I said, well, why did you, why did you use, you know, Steven's card? Uh And she said, because I'm all tapped out, baby. (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) she was obviously on something. I was very like, uh, that was for like, almost a year. Anytime anyone asked me anything, my answer was I'm all tapped out, baby. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, the story got kind of funny because I would then say, well, who, you know, I need to talk to Steven, uh, who's the card holder. If you're going to be renting these items, it's on him if you uh-huh. don't return them. And she said, well, he's away. He, he can't talk for 60 days. And I said, uh-huh. well, if that's the case, then I can't run this credit. And so I, I canceled the order and, uh-huh. you know, said when he can call, let me know. And so I got off the phone and afterwards I was like, where is he that he can't get back for 60 days? So I thought maybe jail, right? Yes. That's what came to my mind. Mine too. So yeah. I Googled the cardholder name, which was Steven Tallarico. Uh-huh. And what I found out is that Steven Tallarico is the legal name for Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. <gasps> no. He was in rehab. Oh, <laughs> and he had, was it his wife or a girlfriend? It was his girlfriend at the yeah, time. They ended girlfriend. up getting married. Yeah. Oh. They were together for a while. Aaron, I can't remember her last name, but um, yeah, they were together for a while. I think the other, I, I don't know. Brett had me tell the story on our podcast, like last year or something. And I, I just Googled her quickly and they're, they're no longer together, but uh-huh. uh, he went to rehab first. She did not. And then she went to rehab later. So thus the being tapped out. But I was real once I realized that I was like, Oh, I hope the cardholder calls and I can check his credit report. Yeah, huh? oh we God. did have several like D list celebrities that would rent handbags because uh-huh. you know, they'd be on the red carpet or yeah. something like that was just the start of reality TV uh-huh. in 2008 to 2010. So we had, you know, a couple real housewives and things like that, but that was just such a funny story because I thought for sure it was fraud and it wasn't, it was just, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> now, now, the girlfriend did you, of, did you Steve receive Tyler. the order or what did you No, You were like, no, it. no, no. I, I didn't trust her. And without him knowing that that was on his card and that that wasn't a purchase, it was a, it was a rental. rental, I didn't trust it with $38,000 and I I didn't really trust her. She didn't sound super 
on, on top of things. Like she would remember, <laughs> oh, my rental's up and I need to return these items and go to the post office. Uh-huh. So oh yeah, God. but yeah, so that was, I mean, there were a million stories from that place, but that was definitely one of my more, my more memorable ones. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, Carice, we got to wrap this up. Yes. What is your one last tip for people? Because we did your three tips. Yeah. You got, you got one more thing like to leave people with to be like, this is what you got to do so that you're safe. Yeah. I mean, you really said it towards the beginning that when the economy, oh, geez, I just, I talk with my hands and I drop things when the, <laughs> sorry, what was when that? The, I'll go back. Oh, uh, oh, it was a book oh. on my desk. All right. All right. All right. I'll kind of go back. So, uh, you know, you really said it best at the beginning when the economy goes down, fraud goes up and we are seeing that at a speed and online that is just unprecedented. And, uh, a lot of it is uh, targeting people who, you know, may not be able to feed their family, mm-hmm. but, but these fraudsters are saying, Hey, I'll order food for your family and you just have to pay me $20 and I'll get you, you know, whatever groceries you want or whatever it is. So there's that need there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many things I could talk about there, but I think the biggest things I would say is be really hyper vigilant. The ads and the things you see online does not mean that it's a credible company, um, you know, double check who is um, domain to know when was the website even registered. Mm. Uh, there are several newer websites being pumped up, uh, productive or posted out there that yeah. uh, have, you know, um, items for significant discount and chances are those were used with a stolen credit card. So I would say just being super vigilant, both about the emails you receive, all the links you click, all the, you know, anything that you click, if you get an email from someone and you weren't expecting it, go out to their website and re-enter your password. Don't use the link. Um, you know, go, uh, it's a little extra work, but it's important. If somebody calls you and says that they're from your bank, but they don't even say the name of your bank, that's a red flag. Oh, uh, that's a good one. You know, offer, I always say too, when you get a phone call and you weren't expecting it or you just, they say that they're from Visa or sometimes they do know your bank. Um, I always offer to call them back. And I say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't give any information to someone who calls me, even if they say, hey, you have a bill at your doctor's office. And I know that that's my doctor. I say, hey, I'm just going to call you back. And I always call them on the phone number on the website, not the phone number that they gave me. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And if they're like, no, you can't call us back. Or one time someone saying they were representing my bank said that their fraud department didn't take calls. And I said, well that's not accurate because I know you do, you know, so that's like dead giveaway too. Like they don't want you to call. So those are just some of my tips, but um, I think this year more than ever kind of be skeptical. And if it's too good to be true, it most likely is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have learned here that you are a wealth of knowledge and, (laughs) um, and you got some stories to tell, and I know you do a lot of keynotes and, and you do consulting. How can people get a hold of you? I think the best way is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my name is hard to spell, but I know you'll have it on the podcast so yeah. people can just spell it out that way. Um, also, my um, consultancy is called Chargelytics. Uh, I took the word chargeback and analytics and smushed it together. So there you go. Uh, Chargelytics Consulting, and I have uh, a lot of information there as well. Um, and then the Fraudology Podcast. So just like you, I really am passionate about 
sharing information with people, especially in this weird little corner of the internet that nobody really thinks about until their credit card's already been stolen or for an online business, they've already lost, you know, three times as much as the item that was purchased. Exactly. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on Fraud Busting. You are a gem. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to having you on uh, the Fraudology podcast soon as well. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.